listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Luke chapter 6. We're going to continue Jesus' message, his sermon on the plane. And as we do so, I just want to um, begin just by catching us up a little bit, because we are dropping right into the middle of a sermon. So it, this is Jesus' sermon. It's um, a little difficult to, to preach someone else's sermon, but, but a little bit easier because this is just Jesus and what he's saying. Um, so I just want to remind us kind of where we're at and how we got here. So what Jesus has done so far is, as we looked at his life, as, as Luke has been walking us through that, is, is we saw that he was, he was arguing a little bit with the Pharisees. They, they had some issues with him healing and doing some different things that were against his, um, the, the law. And, and we saw that Jesus was showing them that he's the one that gets to interpret what the law is. And so after he had these little spat, he goes and he prays as he often did. He comes back, and when he comes back, he appoints the apostles, the 12 apostles. And then he begins this sermon. He gathers people around to teach them this sermon. And what he did in the beginning of this, he compared and contrasted um, two different worldviews. He, he was honing in on kind of the materialist worldview, meaning that you're only living for the here and now. Versus the disciples' worldview, which is needs, is one who is living for the life to come, living for eternal life. And it really can be simplified into two words, right? As disciples of Jesus, and because he is teaching his disciples, and we are disciples of Jesus, he's teaching us one fundamental thing, and that fundamental thing is delayed gratification. And I know that is very hard for us. I mean, we are, live in a world where everything is, I mean, it's amazing what you can do with, with the devices we have and instantaneous ways that we can communicate and just get things done. But Jesus is saying, no, the worldview that you need to have is not one of living for the here and now. You will get frustrated. You will be empty. You'll feel alone. He's like, no, no, you, you live for the life to come. You live for the eternal life. So he's kind of, he's set up the whole sermon to, to look at these two different worldviews. After setting up the sermon, Jesus turns to specific characteristics of a disciple. And that's what he's unpacking the rest of the way. So if, if we're reading this, if you're reading this, as, as you listen today, he's trying to show us, he's trying to kind of build his disciple. He gives them a worldview to look through. Don't live for the here and now, live for the eternal life that is to come and all the good blessings that come from that. And now he's going to try to work on some of our characteristics or some of our character within that, within this sermon. And where does Jesus begin? Well, where God is going to begin. And he begins with love. That's where Jesus begins. He begins with love. We are made in his image and made to reflect to the world the character of God. That's, that's why he created you. In order to reflect to the world around you his character and who he is. That's pretty amazing. If you want purpose in life, there you go. You are made to reflect God to everybody around you. That's pretty remarkable that the creator of the universe created us to do so. And if he did so, that means that the most fundamental characteristic about God is love. Then we are to be people who love 
people. Beyond loving those who love us, he says. Right? It's easy to do that, as, as Marty kind of unpacked last week. It's easy to love people who love us, right? It's, it's easy to, you know, we often get in a conundrum when someone does nice, something nice for us. We have this tendency, we have, we have this urge, it's like, oh, okay, I'm looking for the way to bless them back. I'm waiting to bless them back instead of just to receive grace. It seems like human beings have a really hard, really hard time just receiving a blessing or receiving grace. Probably part of the fall, but we are to receive that grace that God has put out to us. And Jesus is saying, it's easy to love those people that love you. That's, that's kind of easy, right? But I want you to love the people in this category. I want you to love the people who hate you, who curse you, who abuse you, those who strike you, and those who steal from you. I mean, simply put, we are called to love those who sin against us. That's what Jesus is saying. He gave us a bunch of categories from last week's message and, and, and listed out all these different things. But really, bottom line is, is he's saying that, no, you need to love those who sin against you. Why? Because that's what God did first. He loved us. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And if there's any category that we were before God saved us, caused us to be born again, it was a rebel who sinned against God. Now we are saints who struggle with sin. But before we were rebels who just flat out sinned and that's all our heart wanted to do and that's all our heart could do until Jesus comes and changes our heart so that we can then become more loving and more like him. And last week, Marty left us with a question. And I hope you have given some thought to that question from Sunday to Sunday. I, have, I hope you've had spent some time in prayer or before the Lord with this question. And the question was this, do you see your enemy, your neighbor, and this is my interjection, do you see someone who has sinned against you, because that's what Jesus is saying, as one in desperate need of Christ's mercy, as someone who needs to receive grace, as someone who is in need of mercy. Is that how you see that person? That, you know, we're putting in this category of enemy? And really, an enemy, if you think about it, if you go to the heart thing, it's, it's all these people that just make us angry. And at the very root of anger is the thing is, I'm against that. And when you say, I'm against that, you're casting a judgment call, which is which, where Jesus is going here next, and, and we need to create good judgment calls and right judgment calls. But what, he, what we're saying is our enemy is someone who's against something or maybe someone that has hurt you in the past. But we are to love them. We are to look at them not as someone to be defeated, but someone that needs the opportunity to be shown grace. Because thankfully, God didn't just crush us when we needed the same grace. He did that to Jesus instead of us. That is the gospel. That is the wonderful good news of the gospel. So what Marty was asking us is, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. That's what he was leading us to. 
That's what Jesus is leading his disciples to. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So Jesus continues building upon this character he expects from his disciples. Like many things Jesus said, their verses are often misunderstood as we begin with verse 37 as we continue the sermon today. Especially the opening command. I mean, this opening command is, is pretty much known by every non-believer in the United States, right? They will fire this back at you whenever you start questioning and looking at, at their life in, in any way. I mean, because what we were trying to do is just to try to show them their separation from God, but they will fire back, right? Don't you judge me. You're not allowed to judge me. Jesus says you're not allowed to judge me, right? They know this, this scripture. Well, what is Jesus really saying here? What is he saying for us? How is, what character is he trying to build within us? So as we read from verse 37, Jesus says this, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will put, be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And there's the warning. So how you treat others is how you will be treated. I mean, right in the middle of, of Marty's sermon last week was the golden rule. Do others as you would do to yourself, right? That's the golden rule. And what God is now saying, what Jesus is now saying, is how you treat others, this is how I'm going to measure to you. That's scary, because he's the creator of the universe. And this is God speaking. What, what Jesus is trying to show us is how to be merciful. Because he says, be merciful. How, how am I to be merciful? Well, let me give you some ways that you can be merciful to others. Judge not, condemn not. That's how you can be merciful to others. And boy, in, in the social media age that we live in today, we love to throw sentences at people in judgment and this, that, and the other. It's so easy to do. But Jesus comes along and says, judge not, Condemn not. So we must ask ourselves, is Jesus saying that we are not allowed to judge at all? Or does he have a specific way of saying, do not judge? Is Jesus saying we are not to ever lovingly call our brothers or sisters out on their sin with the goal of repentance? I don't think so. This is not at all what Jesus is saying. Or is Jesus even saying here that we are not allowed to ever render judgment? Like we're just supposed to live and however life comes at us, we don't judge anybody and, and we just take the beatings and it's all good, it's all good. And that's how, no, I, I don't think he's saying that ever either. I, I think it's impossible not to judge certain things. We are moral beings. Therefore, we're always going to be using some filter to judge everything that is happening in our lives through the morality of what is right or wrong. And see, that got jacked up back in the garden. But Jesus is trying to fix that for us. I mean, there are life, there are many situations in life where you have to judge, right? Parents are called to make judgments when their children have a conflict. <laughs> they have to make judgment, like, all right, who started it? Why is it happening? Can we give each other grace? And let's move on. Teachers assess their students. Right? They, they, they try to assess, they make a judgment call. Have you learned what I taught you? Have you spent the time to learn what I've taught you? Managers evaluate employees. Should this person get a raise? Should this person doing such an excellent job that maybe they need to be moved up into higher management or something? 
And obviously we know that a judge renders a verdict in courts of law. That's his job. He renders a verdict. We are, we are and we should render judgment as long as love is guiding our effort to make those judgments. That's what Jesus is trying to point us. When Jesus says, judge not, condemn not, he's referring to this specifically. And I think this was well said. One commentator, I'm not even sure where I got it, but it was, it was well said this way. A judgment that holds a person down in guilt and never seeks to encourage them towards God. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the judgment and the condemnation that Jesus is talking about. A judgment that holds a person down in guilt and never seeks to encourage them towards God. That's the judgment that we cannot do as Christians, as disciples of Christ. One example, I, I was thinking of some different examples. And, and one example, and, and you might have run into this, or you definitely have probably seen this portrayed on TV, is when folks are having these generational struggles. Right? Say, say with alcohol. Someone has a, a generational struggle with alcohol. And that judgment that would come down that Jesus is warning against, the judgment without grace would say something to this effect. And I'm sure you've probably heard this, you know, played out even maybe in your life or in your family's life or on TV where, you know, they say like this idea that, oh, your grandfather was an alcoholic, your father was an alcoholic, and all that you will ever be is an alcoholic. That's the judgment that God is talking about. That is judgment holding people down in their guilt, not offering any grace, and not really believing that God can change that person. Not really believing that that, that person can be changed. Or, or maybe a little less extreme example, I was thinking, is something that I, I listen for when, when we're counseling folks, especially in, in marriage counseling, but in any relationship, this works. And that is the absolute words. I think whenever you pass judgment and you say, you never do this, or you always do that, you are judging them and condemning them in such a way that you're holding down them down into the guilt and not allowing God to be able to change them. Because probably, most likely, they don't always do something or they never do this, right? So that's what, what he's trying to unpack here. A judgment that holds a person down in guilt and never seeks to encourage them towards God, towards God. That is, this is what Jesus is saying not to do. Don't hold them down in this guilt like they can't change or like they'll never change. Those absolute words. Because what Jesus said is, is if we judge and condemn in this manner, we're automatically removing ourselves from the positive things, the ability to forgive and give. Right, the ability to forgive and give. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. So if we're judging in that way and if we're condemning that way, there's no forgiveness there. We're not gonna be able to forgive that person. We've already declared their sentence and everything else. There's no way we can forgive and then the give to actually serve that person, it's impossible. So yeah, we can make a judgment but that judgment has to go through the lens of love. And then it, then it has to be thinking through how can, God, how can I help them and, and show them Jesus so that they may be changed. The opportunity for grace to come up so that we may forgive and give them. 
Most people are are quick to criticize and slow to give other people room to grow. As a Christian, we need to, and by the way, the the reason why we do that, he's going to unpack at the very end today. As a Christian, we need to, to be the opposite because Jesus has forgiven us. We should lead the way in showing people how forgiveness changes relationships and lives. We must keep this in context of what Jesus is saying. He is talking about people who sinned against you. That's what he's saying. So because Jesus has forgiven us, we should not judge them that they can't be changed. We cannot condemn them in their guilt saying, oh, I'm not going to offer you any grace. We must forgive and then give and serve them. Why? Because that's what Christ has done for us. That's what he has done for us. That is the upside down kingdom on display. It's not what the culture would tell us. It's not what evolution would tell us. Evolution would say, you know, that the the strong eat the weak and that's how it should be and it's all good. You keep that person down. You condemn them. You put them in guilt, put them in their place and, and let them be. And you move forward. Not the upside down kingdom of Jesus. It's like, no, no, you give them the same grace that Jesus gave you. To offer forgiveness is to prove that we ourselves have been forgiven because it shows the grace of God working in our hearts with power. It's, it's his work in us on display when we were, for, we were able to forgive. Let's, let's just be real for a minute. I, I bet the majority of us sitting here today no longer have relationships with people because they sinned against you and you have not forgiven them. You just kind of push them out. I mean, it's, it's real easy to do now in our social, right, our social media age, hit the unfriend button. Oh, now they're out. No. We also have to be discerning. There are things that people have done to us that have hurt us deeply that maybe we need to forgive. Yes, absolutely. That's what God is calling us to do here. But maybe that relationship doesn't need to be restored. Maybe just the forgiveness needs to come about. But we need discernment in that. But we still need to forgive. But maybe not continue the relationship. Forgiveness is the power of grace in action. It is the power of grace in action. You want, if you want to help someone see the weight of their sin against you, right at the moment when they are expecting you to yell, to give them punishment, to do something, you show them grace and you will crush them. That's how God designed it. Crush them in a good way. Not to judge them and condemn them that their guilt will never have them changed, but to crush them in a way that they see the grace that God is offering. They see the love that God offers and it absolutely crushes them. It crushes them. Grace will crush someone when they get the mercy, right? That when they get the grace that they don't deserve in a place, right? That they should, they should get punishment. I asked my wife if I could share this example. And 
This is a, a powerful example. And, and we've seen these examples of forgiveness in many places. We've seen it with the Amish people that, that forgave the person that went in and, and killed their children. We saw it with the things that happened up at uh, Michigan State University. But we, we, you can see it in many other places. And, and um, you know, my wife, Charity, was abused as a child by her father. And I remember today, whenever she was leading up, and, and if those of you that know Charity, when God tells her to do something, she's going to do it. Um, and she, she just, that's how she is. And she knew that God said, I must forgive him. And I remember the day that I, I, I asked if I could be there. She's like, nope, I got this. Me and God got this. So she invited him up and um, to her grandmother's house, sat down and and told him what he did and looked him straight in the face and says, but I know that you are a sinner in need of grace and I forgive you. And that man withered in his chair. That's what grace does. That's what grace does. That's what grace should do to our heart every time we walk through the door and we get to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ who was in that position in the same position as, as Charity's dad, someone who sinned in need of grace and Jesus came and forgave us. Shouldn't that make us just worship him all the more? We are to forgive. We are to give grace. Man, you will change the people around you if you just, tomorrow when you go to work or you're in your neighborhood or within your family, if you showed somebody grace instead of lashing out at them or being angry at them or giving them what they deserve, you will fundamentally not only change that person, you will change your disposition for the whole day. The grace of God will flood your heart and the person that you're giving that grace to as we forgive them for what they have done. As you forgive them for what they have done. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not only called to forgive folks, but you're also called to give them, to bless them. Again, keep in context. He's talking about those that have sinned against us. Not only are we, we called not to judge and not to condemn, we're, we're called to forgive and then we are called to give to them. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. He has forgiven our sins through the cross. But he has done even more. He has given us the free gift of everlasting life. That's the gift that he has given us. Everlasting life. Now he calls us to give the people who wrong us more grace than they deserve. In order to help his disciples have the right attitude towards fellow sinners. Not judging and condemning. But forgiving and giving. He tells them the reality of their actions. If you judge, you will be judged. If you condemn, you will be condemned. But if you give and forgive, we will receive God's blessings. The overflow of blessings are described in verse 38. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. These blessings that will be poured out to you. Now, this idea of measure is, from the best that I gathered, is, is a cone thing that they used to sell corn, corn grain from, right? 
The seller would, would crouch on the ground with a measure between his legs, fills the cone three-quarters way, and gives it a good shake as he rotates the cone. Then fills to the top and gives it another shake, packs the corn tightly with his hands, even bores a hole in the center with his fingers to fit more corn in the, in the cone. In this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolute full measure. It cannot hold any more. And this is what God's saying, this is my blessings to you. It'll be packed down so much and running out into your lap. Now, I've never purchased grain this way, but I have got an ice cream cone. <laughs> Think about it. What makes a good ice cream cone? Charity and I was up the lake. Um, Brenda's has, has, whenever they're off season, Monday night, half price night. Oh, by the way, their half price night gets them back down to our normal prices, but that's nor here nor there. And as we were leaving uh, Brenda's, the, the creamery was open. And you know, if you've ever been to the lake in the summer, you don't get into that place. I mean, there's lines around the building three times. You just don't get in there. So uh, let's, let's dive in there. Get a, so we get the waffle cone that they handmade. And I, of course, I'm getting the peanut butter fudge ice cream because that's the only ice cream that's good there. But anyway, that's just my opinion. And Charity gets her ice cream, right? And so we go out to the car and I'm eating my ice cream. And, and she looks and, and like there was only one little scoop in there. There's nothing packed down in the cone. It's like, oh, that's just disappointing. But Jesus says, no, I will pack the cone overflowing where you can't even eat all the ice cream. That's the picture he's trying to paint. His blessings will flow from us. They might not be right here and right now. Some of us is like, man, Joe, I would love to have that blessing because it's just been suffering after suffering after suffering. But Jesus, remember, delayed gratification. Brother and sister, your blessing is coming. You will live for all eternity with God, where there will be no sin and no tears, no pain, no suffering, delayed gratification. And it is all 100% worth it. That is our hope. That is our hope. And what Jesus says here is measure for measure, sometimes in this life, but absolutely promised in the everlasting life. So Jesus is all about how we treat other people. If we judge in this manner and condemn in this manner, is there any wonder why people do not want anything to do with the church or the gospel? We've taken away our witness. We're supposed to be a reflection of God's love. But if all we do is spew out these sentences to judge this person and judge that person, and the thing is, we don't even have to go outside the church. There's so much of this happening with all the commentators, with all the people, and with all our technology that we're always looking all these different places, and all we ever do is judge and throw these sentences out to each other. And just like, no, you're destroying your witness. You're supposed to be a reflection of my love to the world around you. You know, I, I'm chasing a rabbit, and I don't care. I would love all these people to think that that, you know, they have all these presuppositions the way they, they say, God has to act this way, God has to work this way, God has to do this, and God has to do that. And, and they get on their YouTube channels and, and all their different things, and they, and, they, and they spout it out, and they spray it out, and they say, this is how God, has, and if, you're, if he's not working this way, then they must be heretics, or this must be wrong, or that must be wrong. I would love for all these people to get on a plane, and, and Chris Schrock ask him, he'll, he'll attest to that, and we'll all go to Haiti. And we'll see all your presuppositions fall to the ground and watch God work. And none of those presuppositions will be real because God is just working in someone's life. 
It's, it's amazing because we think that we're so smart that we can put God in this little box and he has to work this way because this is the way I think he has to work. Give me a break. He is the God that created everything. I'm pretty sure there's a scripture in here that says, my God is in heaven, finish it. He does all that he pleases. Wow, we get ourselves so wrapped up in all these things and, and, and judge here and judge there and condemn this person and condemn that person. What are we doing? And the world around us is like, I don't want to be no part of that. I don't want to be no part of that. What happened to the love? Figure, if I figure out how to get back into my sermon now. But seriously, it's just like, holy cow, what are we doing? So Jesus is all about how we treat other people. If we judge in this manner, condemn in this manner, is there any wonder, again, I said that, why people around us don't want anything to do with us? I mean, there are so many people, brothers and sisters, that you know right now that are dying to ask questions and are just afraid to ask them. What would happen if you would just come and put your arm around them and say, ask all the questions that you want? It's okay. You don't have to have everything precisely figured out and you might not have the right saying here, the right scripture. Just ask the question. Tell me what you're struggling with because we're all struggling with something. We all have unbelief in our life. If we didn't have unbelief in our life, we'd be glorified. They're, they're out there. Every time that, that I'm talking to people, they're like, man, there's people that will just want to know. Well, what about this, this Christian thing? What about this Jesus thing? I just implore you to, to, to look around. God is working everywhere. We might not be able to see him, but he's much like the wind. We know when he's moving because we see the effects of it. We see the effect of it. So Jesus does not judge us this way. He knows the whole truth and the extent of our sin. Nevertheless, he reaches out to us in mercy, granting forgiveness through his death on the cross and offering eternal life through the power of the resurrection. That's what he's given us. He sees the depth of our sin, not just the sin that we, we let out and we, we tell a few people, but he knows all the sin that is deep down that, that we don't tell anybody about. But you know what? You will keep that sin until you tell somebody about it because that's how it works. Especially if you don't tell God about it. He already knows. You're not telling him anything he doesn't know anyway. The Bible's full of it. Laments and different things that we can go to him about. The way we treat others ought to demonstrate the mercy that we have received in Christ. The grace we give flows from the grace we have received and that we still need. I still need this grace. I've had to, to wrestle with this for two weeks because I didn't get to preach last week. I didn't get to let some of this out. But I got to look at it and, and deal with it. Judge not. Oh, so wake us. You're, okay, Jesus, you're preaching to me. You're preaching to me. The grace we give flows from the grace we received. What was Jesus telling his disciples? He was telling them to be like me. Be like me. And remember, God does not call us to do something that he does not supply the resources to accomplish. That's why we sang, I mean, it was neat that, that one of the, the songs that Marty was like, hey, I got a couple songs that I can do right away. And one of them was, yet not I, but in Christ in me. Yeah. 
Because God doesn't call us to do anything that he doesn't either equip us or give us the power to do, either by his grace or by his spirit. Be like me is what he is saying in verses 39 through 40. He, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The meaning of this parable is, is obvious. We need to be careful whom we choose to follow. We need to be careful to whom we choose to follow. This is true of all areas of life, including our spiritual walk. Some think that Jesus has the Pharisees in mind here. The, the Pharisees could not see the truth about grace, which led people into legalism. Jesus even called them blind guides in Matthew 23. I think this is true, but the principle has a much wider application for us. The wider application is about seeing. Do you see correctly? Do we follow someone who sees correctly? And within the context, do we follow someone who sees Jesus correctly? Do they see Jesus correctly? And on the flip side of this, if we are all disciples of Christ, and if you're in Christ, you should be a disciple of Christ. You are the disciple of Christ as whether or not you're a good one or not. And on the flip side, of, if we are a disciple, then the very definition means we will on some level have someone following us. So are we seeing correctly? So is the person we are following, are they seeing correctly? And are we seeing correctly as someone follows us? Do we see the Bible as the perfect truth of God's word? Do we see the majesty of God in his awesome power? Do we see our own sin, which is where Jesus goes next? Do we see our own sin and our desperate need of mercy? Do we see the significance of Jesus crucified and raised from the dead? Jesus says that the student will become like the teacher. Who are you intentionally pouring into right now? Somebody is watching all the time. Parents know this, right? You, you go to discipline your kid because they just did something and something inside of you snaps and you're like, oh, they got that from me. So I gotta give them grace. But somebody's always watching. Somebody's always watching you. Are you seeing clearly? Are you pouring into them, giving them grace? This is so important for Jesus because a first century disciple would give their lives and spend so much time with their teacher. They would literally do everything together. The, the way you learned was through spending time with a wise teacher. They didn't have books and studies and YouTube videos and, and you know, classes online and different things like that. You went and you spent time. You walked with them. One, one person said that they, you know, they walked so closely that they would get the dust of their teacher that would come up on them. So not only should we be following someone that sees clearly, but we need to see clearly because there's always someone watching us. So let me ask you, how many of you took the teaching of Jesus through Marty last week and did something with it? How many, how many of us actually stopped and think, is there someone in my life that, I, that is my enemy that I need to give grace to, to mercy to, to go show love to? It's, 
in so many ways, and this goes back to my little rabbit trail, in so many ways, it, it just seems like that we've redefined a disciple instead of someone who lives a certain way, you know, and is loving in a certain way, to someone who consumes enough information. And if I consume enough information, then that makes me a disciple. I, I'm pretty sure that on a Sunday morning, you get more than what you can live out the following week without taking in all these other things. What if each of us just to work out what Jesus is saying here, just judge not, condemn not, forgive and give from now until next Sunday, even if it's just a little bit. We would all come back changed next week. We, we don't need to listen to 30 different sermons or different, all these different things. Just what if we worked on doing what Jesus has called us to do? Like it's almost like we've re redefined discipleship by, I'm a disciple of Jesus because I know. No, that's kind of how the Pharisees got in trouble. They knew a lot, but didn't live a lot, as Tim read for us today. We are called to follow Jesus, who has an infinitely perfect vision and never leads anyone astray. Jesus then turns to a well-known illustration that helps us to see correctly so that we can help others and not to live as a hypocrite. Verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Jesus is now taking the gloves off, because he uses the word hypocrite. Here Jesus finishes with what he had to say about judgment with a well-known illustration. He warned his disciples and, and us that we will be judged with the same standard of judgment we judge others. Here the problem is not the person cannot see it all, but that he cannot see as well as he thinks he can. A person thinks they can see so clearly to remove a speck out of someone's eye, yet somehow manages to overlook the big piece of wood sticking out of their own eye. To give you a sense, the contrast, this idea of plank would be like a supporting beam in a building. That's the contrast he's trying to use. Like that big long beam that goes all the way down the center of the church. Like we have this beam sticking out of our eye, but we're looking at the speck in someone else. And to fully understand what Jesus is saying, we need to understand what he means by hypocrite. In the Greek, it means actor. It means actor. What he is saying is, is all hypocrisy is acting. Back in those days when you would do, uh, do if you were an actor, was you used literal masks. If you were playing a joyful role, or a role uh, of which you were jo a joyful person, you would put on a joyous mask. Or you would put on a grieving mask. Those masks sometimes you've seen on, on the movie posters that they put out. That's really how things were done then. They'd put on these different masks to show you how they were supposed to be feeling. Here's the point. The mask kid what you were really like. All good acting is that way. It just hides, hides who you really are, what you're really struggling with. And that's what he's saying when he calls someone a hypocrite, is you're just hiding. How does this help us with the, what Jesus is saying? Well, it's all about judgmental attitude, isn't it? That's what he's talking about here. In other words, the way in which we divert attention from one from who we really are is by finding fault with others. 
and looking around and seeing all the bad things they do and scolding them for it. That's exactly why I had Tim read that passage. He's standing there looking at all these other people and saying, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Well, how about taking the plank that's in your eye out before, before you go and judge others? Hypocrisy, he says, let's hide what I'm really like by focusing on what's wrong with everybody else. The nature of this hypocrisy is I want to, to touch your speck, but hands off of mine. I want to talk about your faults, but don't you dare talk about mine. This is the judgmental attitude Jesus is warning us against. Now, Jesus is making a shift. He is shifting from those things that are happening around us to what's happening in our heart. Right? He, he's telling you, okay, these people that are outside of you are sinning against you, this is how you're to treat them. But in order to be able to treat them this way, now I want to talk about your heart. I want to talk about what you think about, what you value. It's all a matter of the heart. Jesus is giving us a self-diagnosing tool. We really do fail to see the plank because we really don't like what is in our own hearts. Many times we get a glimpse of who we really are and we cannot stand what is looking back at us in the mirror. First, Jesus says we can't stand seeing it. And second, he, he says we know how big it is. We know how big it is. That's why I always try to, to encourage you to, to run to the cross when you see that. Not to run away from the cross. To run to the cross. Because whatever you see in that mirror has been forgiven. And he is in the process of changing that. What he's actually saying is all of us sense there's something enormously wrong with us. The reason we can't bear to look ourselves in the mirror spiritually is that we know there's something enormously wrong. Not just that we're just inadequate or we're kind of flawed, but we're enormously sinful. We're, we're just hiding it. You're spending all of your life basically trying to deal with that voice, trying to shut it up. And basically everything in your life is really a function of this. I'm going to tell everybody what's wrong with them so that no one will see me. And Jesus comes along and says, you're acting, you're being a hypocrite. We are in Christ. So all of our junk has been taken care of, no matter what people think about it outside. It's been taken care of. The idea is I have to cover up my plank. I have to cover up what I really am. I can't live with it. I can't see it, but I know it's there. And therefore, what I have to do is I have to do something. And that something is usually with the Pharisees that they kept on pointing out all everybody else's faults. Now, you know where I'm going because I haven't gone to Genesis 3 yet, right? That's where it all comes from. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were naked and unashamed. Why? Because they didn't care about what anybody saw. They were totally transparent and they were happy. But the minutes they sinned, they covered up with fig leaves. Why? Because now there was a tree in there. Now there was a plank and they couldn't bear it. They knew it, but they were holding it down. What Jesus Christ is saying in your relationships with other people are going to be filled with hypocrisy. There are all sorts of reasons why it's impossible for most of us to ever remove the speck from someone else's eye. To remove the speck from someone else's eye is Jesus' way of talking about speaking the truth in love. 
We cannot speak the truth in love until we take the plank out of our own eye so that we can actually love that person. So that we can actually love that person. To take the speck from somebody's eye doesn't just mean you're criticizing them. To take the speck from somebody's eye means you have helped somebody else see there's something wrong. And they want your help because you've loved them. Probably because they have determined you're not a blind guide. You're not a blind guide. I'm not going to fall in the pit with you. They want you to help them get out because they believe in you. They believe you're gentle. They know that you love them. And this will never happen unless you fully believe that Jesus has removed your plank. That he has removed your plank. There's a certain sense in which Jesus is actually saying, before you ever be able to help anybody else in their life, you're going to have to pay the cost of repentance. You have to repent of the plank that's in your eye. You need to go to Jesus and take it to him. And then once you go to him and take it to him, and then you can lovingly go to somebody else to speak the truth in love. You're going to have to pay the cost of admitting who you are. So I, so many people run away from the cross because you, you don't want to admit that, that, that this is what you struggle with, this is who you are. But Jesus wants you to come. He knows. He already knows. Go to the cross and take it to him. Get rid of that plank so you can go and help and love someone else. There's never nothing more fulfilling than you being able to help your brother and sister in Christ. Jesus Christ is the opposite example of that. For him to be able to come and speak to us and tell us what's wrong with us, he had to pay the cost of dealing with our sin. Here's what that means. Do you believe Jesus Christ died for you? Do you believe, therefore, you are accepted because of what he has done? Do you believe you're not saved because of your good works, but because of what he has done? Do you realize then and only then, can, you, can he come and actually tell you about your specs? About what's in your eye. What did he do about our beams? These giant beams that we have sticking out of our eyes. Our load bearing timber if you will. What did he do about that? Brothers and sisters. He was nailed to it. He was nailed to it. He was crucified on it. When we go to the Lord's table, which is just in a few moments, what we want to do is, is get a sense of that. Get a sense of understanding that no matter what you see in that mirror, that, that beam that's protruding from your eye, the thing that you just can't stand about yourself, you know that it's, it's, it's not doesn't line up with God's word. Know that that being was what Christ is crucified. He was nailed to it. Then maybe you should consider as we take communion, those that have been saying things to you and you've just been pushing them off because they're trying to help you see the beam or the speck in your eye. And you're just not listening. 
Or, or maybe there's someone that you know, you know that you know that you know, I need to go talk to this person. I either need to forgive them or I need to, to love them and point this out because really this is, this is not what God has for them. And you need to go to them. But you're too scared to. Well, you can because you're in Christ. And you can take and remove your being by going to the cross with it. And then you can go and help somebody see their speck. We don't stand pounding our chest saying, I am so glad I am not like this tax collector. Because we are. But we are forgiven. And we have been given eternal life. And all the blessings that are pressed down, shaken together, running over, as we live not for today, but for the life to come, the hope we have been given in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father Lord, I just, I beg for your help. I need your help. I know each one here needs your help. Lord, as we turn and take communion, as we are reminded that you took that beam by dying on that beam, our sins is what you took. The punishment that we deserve is what you took so that we can receive grace, so that we can receive mercy. And Lord, if we would just believe that, if we would just believe that, that our sins are forgiven. We can leave this building today freer than we were when we walked in. Because each of us here would say, I, I believe that. It happened back then. No, it needs to happen today again and tomorrow and the next day until the day we're glorified. Father, please help us to trust in you, to believe that our sins are forgiven. That yes, we still struggle with sin but Lord, you have forgiven of us. You have taken our guilt. You have taken our shame. You have taken that. Lord, help us see that and respond accordingly as we take communion together. We ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.